Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. I'm Brad Constantine, and this episode will be regarding 2 Nephi chapter 4. One of the things I'd like to ask you as you think about these, uh, this chapter while we're reading is, uh, how do you handle trials? How are you at, uh, when difficult things come your way, how are you at uh, dealing with those? We'll talk about how Nephi faced them. And also, what was Nephi's uh, big temptation that he had? What was the thing he was working on uh, that he was always having trouble with? All right, chapter 4, verse 1. And now I, Nephi, speak concerning the prophecies of which my father has spoken concerning Joseph, who was carried into Egypt. For behold, he, meaning Joseph, truly prophesied concerning all his seed, and the prophecies which he wrote, there are not many greater. So, in the scriptures, we don't have a whole lot of prophecies about Joseph or from Joseph, except as the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter 50 and then some of the quotes that uh, Lehi gave in uh, chapter 3 that we read last time. Let me just read you a couple of things here. Um, this is from the documentary um, commentary of the Book of Mormon. It says, The stature of Joseph of Egypt as a prophet remains little known even to the Latter-day Saints. From the text restored by Joseph Smith to the book of Genesis, we learn that Joseph enjoyed the personal presence of the Lord Jehovah who covenanted with him relative to his posterity by way of an immutable oath. In this prophecy, quoted in part by Lehi to his son Joseph in the preceding chapter, we learn that he knew of the destiny of Lehi and his family and of the destiny of Joseph Smith. The detail of the knowledge which uh, of the knowledge had by the ancient Joseph is remarkable. As an illustration, Joseph Smith in blessing Oliver Cowdery said that Oliver would be blessed according to the blessing of the prophecy of Joseph in ancient days, which he said should come upon the seer of the last days and the scribe that should sit with him, and that should he and that should be ordained with him by the hands of the angel in the bush under the under the lesser priesthood, and after he should receive the holy priesthood after the hands of those who had been held in reserve for a long season, even those who received it under the hands of the Messiah, while he should dwell in the flesh upon the earth, and should receive the blessings with him. Even the seer of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saith he, even Joseph of old. And that was from Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, Restoration of the Melchizedek Priesthood in the Improvement Era of 1904. Thus we see that Joseph of Egypt knew not only of Joseph Smith and his role as the great prophet of the Restoration, but also of Oliver Cowdery's role as Joseph's scribe to bring forth the Book of Mormon, and that Oliver would be Joseph's companion when the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods were restored. It may well be that the ancient Joseph knew more of our day than we do. Further, we are aware that Joseph of Egypt was the author of a scriptural record which will someday be restored to those of the house of Israel, or to those of the house of faith. We anticipate that the prophecies of Joseph contained therein will have much to say about the roles of Ephraim and Manasseh in the gathering of Israel in the last days. That's from documented documentary commentary of the Book of Mormon. Continuing verse 2, And he prophesied concerning us and our future generations, and they are written upon the plates of brass. Uh, and then I have this quote here um, from, from Daniel Ludlow. He says, 
Nephi mentions the prophecies of Joseph that were written on the brass plates of Laban, and he concludes there are not many greater. But where are these great prophecies of Joseph? Why do they not appear in the Old Testament? We do not know the answers to these questions, but the following observations might give some clues as to possible answers. In the first place, Joseph's prophecies would logically be written most completely on the stick or record of Joseph. Thus, they were probably included in detail on the brass plates of Laban. However, Joseph's prophecies are not found presently in the stick or record of Judah, the Bible. Again, this would indicate that the records on the brass plates of Laban were more comprehensive and complete than the records from which we get our Old Testament. In the second place, evidently some of the writings of Joseph are still in existence, but have not been published to the world. This is an interesting quote here. Joseph Smith said that he received some papyri scrolls that contained the record of Abraham and Joseph at the same time he obtained the Egyptian mummies from Michael Chandler. Concerning this record, Joseph Smith said, or has written, the record of Abraham and Joseph found with the mummies is beautifully written on papyrus with black and small part red ink or paint in perfect preservation. The prophet next describes how the mummies and the record came into his possession and then concludes, Thus I have given a brief history of the manner in which the writings of the fathers, Abraham and Joseph, have been preserved and how I came in possession of the same, a correct translation of which I shall give in its proper place. The record of Abraham, translated by the prophet, was subsequently printed and it is now known as the Book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price. However, the translation of the Book of Joseph has not yet been published. Evidently, the record of Joseph was translated by the prophet, but perhaps the reason it was not published was because the great prophecies therein were too great for the people of his day. It should be, num it should be remembered that some of, the, some of Joseph's prophecies were restored to the Bible when Joseph Smith translated or revised it. That we have today is Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 to 26. So it looks like uh, Joseph Smith translated a record from Joseph, but we just don't have the published version of it yet. Hopefully someday that will come forth. Verse 3, Wherefore, after my father had made an end of speaking concerning the prophecies of Joseph, he called the children of Laman, his sons and his daughters, and said unto them, Behold, my sons and my daughters, who are the sons and the daughters of my firstborn, I would that ye should give ear unto my words. For the Lord God hath said that inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land, and inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. This is the promise and the curse upon all who live in the Americas. But behold, my sons and my daughters, I cannot go down to my grave, save I should leave a blessing upon you. For behold, I know that if ye are brought up in the way ye should go, ye will not depart from it. Wherefore, if ye are cursed, behold, I leave my blessing upon you, that the cursing may be taken from you and be answered upon the heads of your parents. Joseph Fielding Smith said, The scripture in question is as follows, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. The second article of faith reads, We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. What your question means, as I interpret it, is this. You have an idea that the commandment means that when a man sins, his children will be held responsible for his folly and be punished for it for three or four generations. The commandment does not mean anything of this kind. The Lord never punishes a child for its parents' transgression. He is just and merciful. The real meaning of this visiting of the iniquity is that when a man transgresses, he teaches his children to transgress and they follow his teachings. It is natural for children to follow in the practices of their fathers and by doing so suffer for their parents' iniquity, which they have voluntarily brought upon themselves. 
Recent research on the development of a child's brain has revealed new insights into how and when a child learns. I quote from a recent study from birth, a baby's brain cells proliferate wildly, making connections that may shape a lifetime of experience. The first three years are critical. That was from J. Madeline Nash in Time Magazine. The years from birth to age 10 are the peak years for acquiring the language that will become the foundation for understanding future knowledge and truth. It is an ideal time for parents to read to their children from the scriptures. They will begin to learn the language of the scriptures. One primary leader shared that she and her husband read the scriptures to their children, ages 2, 3, and 4, every night before they go to bed. I must admit, I questioned that children so young could understand the language of the scriptures, she said. After the first week, the language was not an issue. The children love reading together and feeling the spirit, and it's amazing how much they understand. A very young child's potential for learning and understanding is far greater than we tend to believe. The exciting possibility is that while children are learning new words daily, they can learn the language of the scriptures. In time, through the guidance of parents and teachers, they will grow in their understanding that Heavenly Father is speaking to them through the scriptures, that the scriptures can help them find answers to their problems. And that was from uh, Angie Worthland in the Ensign of May 1998. Uh, verse 7, Wherefore, because of my blessing, the Lord God will not suffer that ye shall perish. Wherefore, he will be merciful unto you and unto your seed forever. The seed of Laman will continue to our day. And it came to pass that after my father had made an end of speaking to the sons and daughters of Laman, he caused the sons and daughters of Lemuel to be brought before him. And he spake unto them, saying, Behold, my sons and my daughters, who are the sons and the daughters of my second son, behold, I leave unto you the same blessing which I left unto the sons and daughters of Laman. Wherefore, thou shalt not utterly be destroyed, but in the end thy seed shall be blessed. And the seed of Lemuel will continue to our day as well. Verse 10, And it came to pass that when my father had made an end of speaking unto them, behold, he spake unto the sons of Ishmael, yea, and even all his household. And after he had made an end of speaking unto them, he spake unto Sam, saying, Blessed art thou and thy seed, for thou shalt inherit the land like unto thy brother Nephi. And thy seed shall be numbered with his seed, and thou shalt be even like unto thy brother, and thy seed like unto his seed, and thou shalt be blessed in all his days, in all thy days. And it came to pass, after my father Lehi had spoken unto all his household according to the feelings of his heart, and the spirit of the Lord which was in him, he waxed old, and it came to pass that he died and was buried. And it came to pass that not many days after his death, Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael were angry with me because of the admonitions of the Lord. Now that their father was dead, they did not have to respect him for their patriarch, as their patriarch by being nice to Nephi. Now they are free to do whatever they want. Verse 14, For I, Nephi, was constrained to speak unto them according to his word, for I had spoken many things unto them, and also my father, before his death, many of which things are written upon mine other plates, meaning the large plates of Nephi, for a more history part are written upon mine other plates. Verse 15, And upon these, meaning the small plates, write the, I write the things of my soul, and many of the scriptures which are engraven upon the plates of brass, for my soul delighteth in the scriptures. And my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord, and showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, and this is like uh, what Paul says in Corinthians, O wretched man that I am, yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. This is the psalm of Nephi. And this contains many of the same elements as found in the Old Testament. 
Verse 18, I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. So what are Nephi's gross sins that he's so concerned about? Verse 20, my God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He hath filled me with his love, even unto the consuming of my flesh. He hath confounded mine enemies unto the causing of them to quake before me. Behold, he hath heard my cry by day, and he hath given me knowledge by visions in the nighttime. And by day have I waxed bold in mighty prayer before him. Yea, my voice have I sent up on high, and angels came down and ministered unto me. And upon the wings of his spirit hath my body been carried away upon exceedingly high mountains. And mine eyes have beheld great things, yea, even too great for man. Therefore I am bidden that I should not write them. And from uh, the doctrinal commentary of the Book of Mormon, it says, All who have been entrusted with a high mountain or temple experience have been given knowledge that they are not at liberty to share. There are many sacred truths revealed to those worthy and ready to receive them that are not lawful for man to utter. Neither is man capable of make, to make them known, for they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows on those who love him and purify themselves before him. Verse 26, O oh, then, if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men have visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow, and my flesh waste away, and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions? And why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Yea, why should I give way to temptations that the evil one have place in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? Why am I angry because of mine enemy? Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. Do not anger again because of mine enemies. Do not slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. So what is Nephi tempted to do? We soon find out here to play a rough game is what he is tempted to do. He wants to hit back at Laman and Lemuel. He has a short temper. Remember, he really lets fly at times. The dispatching of Laban wasn't his idea, but he impulsively grabbed Zoram, held his mouth, and told him there was nothing to fear instead of arguing with him properly. He said that he was um, large and strong. He could handle Zoram easily enough, and so he did. Sin is waste. The scriptures tell us you are wasting time and energy with anger because it is not going to get you anywhere. Maybe righteous anger, but this is a brooding anger against his brothers that has been going on and on. And that's from Hugh Nibley. Verse 30, Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord, and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God and the rock of my salvation. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? Uh, and men may from time to time fall from grace. And so we need to have the constant reminders to stay on the straight and narrow path. 32. May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. In other words, we have godly sorrow. O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me, that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road? O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape from before mine enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way? But that thou wouldst clear my way before me, and hedge not up my way, but the ways of mine enemy. O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his, arm in the tr his trust in the arm of flesh. 
So we shouldn't even trust our own native abilities. Yea, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm. Yea, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me, if I ask not amiss. Therefore I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of myself, my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and mine everlasting God. Amen. So how do we handle trials? Do we realize that trials are for our, our growth and our development? Um, let me read you a couple of quotes here. Um, the nearer man approaches perfection, the clearer are his views and the greater his enjoyments, till he has overcome the evils of his life and lost every desire for sin, and like the ancients arrives at the point of faith where he is wrapped in the power and glory of his maker and is caught up to dwell with him. That's Joseph Smith. Elder Richard G. Scott said, We see such a limited part of the eternal plan he has fashioned for each one of us. Trust him, even when in, when in eternal perspective it temporarily hurts very much. Have patience when you are asked to wait when you want immediate action. He may ask you to do things which are powerfully against your will. Exercise faith and say, Let thy will be done. Such experiences, honorably met, prepare you and condition you for yet greater blessings. As your father, his purpose is your eternal happiness, your continuing development, your increasing capacity. His desire is to share with you all that he has. And that was from a conference talk in 1991 by Elder Richard G. Scott. I bear testimony of the truth of these things and that if we can keep in perspective uh, that trials are for our benefit and growth uh, and to have patience when we have those. And I think that we'll be way, way better off for doing so. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you like this podcast, you can share it just like all the rest of them. Thank you. Bye. See you next time, hopefully.